Welcome to Film Quotes Film. My name is Omaya Jones, and I'm joined by... Al Topic, Michael Buckner. Michael Carpenter. Alex Vaness. Uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, our January 2018 screening of Jules Dassin's Rafifi. On this podcast, we discuss the films that are selected as part of the Arkansas Times screening series, um, which is hosted at the Riverdale 10 on the third Tuesday of every month. And this is the first of a series of films that we're showing about heist movies. One of the most common questions that we get asked is how we select the films. So we decided to do something different and try to think of themes. Wait, so how how do you choose your? Movie? I pick what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so how how are you inspired then to to do a theme? What kind of motivated that? I follow a lot of people on film Twitter, and some of those people are programmers. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think it's it's kind of neat to see some of the themes and things that people are doing in other places, especially places in New York. I had this idea once for mm-hmm. a screening series on um, films. I've told Michael about this, but films about face swapping, where people get new faces or a different face or whatever. Okay. And I saw that someone in New York or LA had programmed something really similar, and I was like, mm-hmm. see, it is a good idea. We can do this. And so that would be stuff They like, did it, so that means that it was a good yeah, idea. Yeah, it's justified. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. stuff like Eyes Without a Face. Seconds. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, The Face of Another. Seconds? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Seconds. It's, um... Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. Yeah. Wait, so how did you yeah. choose heist movies? How was that your... How did you choose that as your first thing? Um... <clears throat> You know, I'm not sure exactly how I came upon heist movies specifically, um, except that I wanted to show Rafifi, so I thought we could do that. I think there were, there were probably two different things that happened. One, my friend Adam came up to me and said that he had heard something about this film called The Train, mm-hmm. which is this, uh, it stars Burt Lancaster, I think it's John Frankenheimer's first film, and he's like, you guys should show them something like that, like this uh, classic underseen action movie mm-hmm. so 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 but the idea of taking something that's like an early or um prototypical example of a, of a genre film in this instance heist movies and finding a few movies that sort of define the genre and then screening those is similar it's just a different you know it's not instead of action movies it's heist films and then um the I saw Rafifi, I think it had been on my list, but the reason that it got moved up my list is because someone I follow on Twitter, I think I think it was Mazzler Sites, was going on this rant about people who say they like films, but then when you recommend older films, don't, because yeah. they're either in black and white mm-hmm. or they're subtitled. Um, and so that's actually how I saw, I saw Rafifi, and then I think when I was looking into it, I came across Bob Flynn Burr, so I saw that too. Which and that's one that we're screening in March. Okay. So, why did you not screen Heist? Um, yeah. You know, there's only twelve months in the year. We only do this once a month, so there's um, a lot of Heist movies. But I know that's one of your favorites. Uh, I do love I do love David Mamet, um, and I do love Heist, but I wanted to show things. I guess. Heist probably also falls under the category of underseen. I don't know if a lot of people got out of their way to watch a bunch of Mammoth movies, except for Glengarry Glen Ross, um, which he didn't direct. Right, that's just based off his... He wrote uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and so, you know, in February we're showing Point Break. Yeah. So. Um, I think that one's going to go well. Yeah, I think that one's probably going to be big. Hopefully, 
they'll do what they did with the Dave Ellswick screening of Casablanca and they'll have to add a second second screen mm. yeah there's a lot of buzz right now yeah. behind it from people I've talked to Point Break or Casablanca Point Break yeah I don't, there's not any buzz for Casablanca <laughs> <laughs> how did the showing go Considering that it had snowed yeah. the day before, or yeah, yeah well, the, the night the night before, yeah, ice. but it's Arkansas, yeah. so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. snow and ice. Schools um, were still closed that day. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, just laughing at everyone. Turnout was decent, yeah, and especially and did you see there was this older guy afterwards who embraced me and said thanks yeah. for showing this, yeah, uh, that which was kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like anticipate that happening. Yeah, and he was like, oh, thanks for showing this. You talked about how it wasn't available, and then I explained that actually is <laughs> on DVD and Blu-ray. Actually, collection. Uh, you can you can purchase this film if you like. Yeah. Just a big Rafiki fan who doesn't, big doesn't even yeah. know it's on DVD. Yeah. So it's been a while since we last recorded. Does anybody uh, have any fun or exciting adventures they want to talk about in terms of uh, film-related things that they've been doing? Uh, well, I've decided to join the uh, the Movie Pass. So, in, in an effort to watch more movies, uh, I was very disheartened when I got my end of the year email from Letterboxd, like, hey, here's all the movies you watched. I'm like, I only watched 80 movies. It made me sad. And then I'm sure Deshaun's was like 285 or something. Uh, I don't think it wasn't that much. My goal every year is to average a film a day. And I, like, so 2016, I was over 300 but under 365. Last year, I don't think I broke 250. Mm. Maybe maybe I got to like 260. Um, and this year, I'm slightly behind pace for averaging a film a day. A film a day, that's quite a bit, though. Yeah. That, that, that's, yeah. that's a hard step. I, I want to average. A, average. That is a, a commitment. It is. Yeah, it's but like also, a... but you know, it's, you know what, though? It's really not that hard. Because you're counting short films, too, right? Right. So, uh, for example, well, like, short films, yeah, like okay. last month or last week, I watched a film that I actually watched last year. Because uh, I was also doing this thing kid. where you try to get to, um, you try to average at least one film a week directed by a woman. So, I, I watched, uh, it was a short film called How Can This Be? directed by uh, an Indian director named Myra Nair or Nair. Um, and so, like, I watched that in December, and then I was showing it to somebody else, so I watched it again last week, so I got to count it twice. Yeah. I don't know if you're allowed yeah. to count that twice, though. Oh, rewatches Two count. years, two different rewatches years. Rewatches count? Oh, yeah, rewatches Well, count. you know, actually, if you look at Letterboxd, um, if you look at your raw count, it does not count rewatches oh. unless you click it, mm. and then it'll show you your total films for the year, and that number counts rewatches. Gotcha. So, yeah, there are two different numbers. Then I might have one in 80. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in part to get me to watch more movies, I joined Movie Pass because if I'm paying nine dollars a month, I'm going to use it. It's a great yeah. deal, Movie Pass. Right? It's suspiciously a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be out of business in like six months, so yeah. they won't. You know what though? I so the thing about Movie Pass, which is weird, is so you sign up for this service, you pay nine ninety nine or whatever a month, and mm-hmm. then you can go see one film a day. And Movie Pass pays the theater full price yeah. for the movie ticket. Yeah. So you think, how does that work? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just a MasterCard that when mm-hmm. you tell them what movie you're seeing at what theater, they preload it with that exact amount for that ticket. Right. But how are they not just like losing millions of dollars? Uh, it, it makes no they sense. They have to be. Yeah. They're thinking long term. Okay. So... 
there was news recently that MoviePass was partnering with um, distribution companies to purchase films. Yeah. So you can envision a world in which, in order, so like one, in order to show a screen of film that MoviePass owns, you have to accept MoviePass. Right. And then they get a cut of the box office. And then, you know, like it. It's like a long term. It kind of makes yeah. sense if they start acquiring movies. Like that slowly they Can they the survive that long though? Like with their current model. And I'm sure they're also um, hoping on the people who subscribe and then don't use it a month. Like yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got it what, in November, and I've used it like three, four times since then. Cause I've been too busy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in the end, you've. You still paid less than you probably would. Right, right, right. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're hoping some people will get it and then not use it all that often to offset the people that do use it more often. And then you have the people in the cheaper markets like us helping pay for the people in the larger markets like New York because their tickets are like $15. Mm-hmm. Ours are 10 Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to see at least one movie using MoviePass a week to justify it so when you work retail and you have a random Wednesday off it's really easy to go see a movie at like one o'clock Al? yes <laughs> what have you been up to? what have I been up to? Uh, not much I'm trying to make a feature film uh, just taking up most of my November and December uh, don't think I've talked about my movie here you have not you have not yeah enlighten us uh, it is a uh, 80's slasher movie called Lakeside Massacre oh right we were filming in the dead of winter at a lake out at, uh, in Saline County it was very cold very windy very windy uh, yeah we got a couple of days left we got to shoot still ran into some complications but all in all it's coming together pretty, pretty nicely it's basically kind of a blend of Friday the 13th Meets every other generic horror movie ever made. <laughs> when can what? I see a rough cut? Oh, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, rough cut? Uh, I'm supposed to have one in February at some point from my editor. What, so is, soon. A, what is a runtime you shoot for? Uh, 80 to 90 minutes. Sounds about right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, supposedly, you know, horror movies are supposed to be cheap and easy to make. This one is neither cheap nor easy. <laughs> what lake were you at? Uh, lake uh, Norrell. Yeah. In okay. Sling County. Uh, That's like near Bryant, Benton? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of roughly like in 40 minutes outside of Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got lucky. Uh, my producer knows a guy that has a little cabin out there. And we just kind of had the run of the place mm-hmm. all, all winter. Uh, the guy gave us the keys. And then uh, the last day we shot, though, the the, the police was called on us. Oh, oh really? Yeah, we were doing like the big final scene. We had our actress scream out. Oh, it, just, no. it just echoed across yeah. the lake. Oh. <laughs> I said, let's do that a couple more times. <laughs> and three cop cars came out there. And they said, we heard someone's getting murdered out here. And then our, our lead actress, she popped up and said, oh, that was me. <laughs> but yeah, the, the cops didn't care. They were friendly about the whole thing. Yes. And you had to sleep alone in that cabin a couple of times. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's creepy out there on the lake at night, especially when you're making a horror movie. Kind of, <laughs> all the thoughts start coming in your head. You know, kind of barricaded myself in a room. The times <laughs> I was spending the night alone out there. Mm. Alex? I have nothing to add to this, <laughs> to be completely um, honest. I, like I said, I can tell you, you know, about some books, but that's my area of talk expertise. About, talk about books. 
Okay, well, isn't, what is it called? Ready Player One? That's re- that's a movie that's mm-hmm. coming out soon. I mean, I was just really excited because I got a signed copy of it for Christmas. That's probably one of my favorite books. Although I'm not terribly convinced that the movie is going to live up to the book because they very rarely do for me. Um, also, have y'all, have y'all read Ready Player One at all? Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know if like... I just don't, when I was reading it, I feel like there's books that when you read, you can see it as a movie, and I never got to the point of where I saw that as a movie. I don't know, did you? Uh, I don't know, like, I kind of was taken in and out of the book a lot, Mm. just because it just seemed, like, just hodgepodging so much stuff together Mm. would just, like, throw me out. Uh, um, Like, oh, I have the DeLorean, but I put kids lights on it and mm-hmm. all, like I don't know it just sometimes felt like it was just too much yeah for me um so I I didn't get hit now Armada mm-hmm. that one I got a little more into and could see that one I could definitely see yeah a movie. yeah yeah but I just yeah I feel like it was already overwhelming enough as a book mm-hmm. and then also I mean I like all of the allusions to um you know 80s culture but I don't know I feel like to condense it into a movie, it's going to just feel kind of haphazard mm. or, I don't know, I don't really see it, but, I mean, I'm going to go see it anyway, oh, yeah. so. Who's directing it? Spielberg. Spielberg? Yeah. That's interesting. He might yeah. handle the subject matter. It's, yeah. like, to me, this is weird that I remember seeing all this press for Ready Player One for the past six months, and then also the post comes out, and it's like, when does he have the time to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, but, I guess he's trying to yeah. be like Tiash Miyake and just... Well, it's like the year Jurassic Park came out. It's also the year that Shinovich List came out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's some precedent for this from Spielberg. Yeah. And I just assume that he, you know, you would film... A movie like The Post and the time it takes to do the special effects work for something oh, like yeah. Ready oh, Player I, One. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Ready Player One got finished. Like, like script, like, principal photography yeah. was finished, like, a year ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, then you, when you have, when you work with the same editors over and over and you trust them and they know what you look for, you can just kind of hand it to them and be like, all right, put it together and I'll come back and then help fine-tune it. Also, based off of... Um, the reshoots and all the money in the world apparently does not actually take that long to <laughs> make a movie. Yeah, it's super quick. Uh, Michael? What am I doing? Yeah. Uh, not watching movies. <laughs> not watching movies? You want to talk about your puppy? Why? Uh, well, I am watching movies. It's just recently I've been playing too many video games. <laughs> so I've been neglecting watching movies. So my list is... I have that issue as well. What was the last movie you saw besides Rafifi? Uh, the new Star Wars movie. Okay. But I'm not a Star Wars fan, so. But what did you think about Star Wars? Uh, the I Last thought, Jedi. Well, I'm a Ryan Johnson fan, mm-hmm. so I really loved parts of it where it felt like his kind of movie, but when it became like too much of a Star Wars movie, which I, you know, I'm not a fan, so I was just like, uh, whatever. Yeah. Sure. But I love Luke Skywalker's character in that movie. Yeah. Like, because the movies I watch, my favorite movies, are like movies about people suffering and people, you know, having a hard time dealing mm-hmm. with emotional stuff. So to see Luke as where he came, I was like, I'm into this. I'm yeah. into it big time. But I'm not attached to Star Wars. Yeah. And other people are, so I can understand their disappointments. 
<laughs> um, I guess that now it's my turn. It's your turn. Yeah. As I was saying before, my goal is to watch average a film a day for the by the end of the year. Um, and I'm slightly behind right now. I think I'm at 16. And it's yeah, the 21st you're day. You're yeah. almost a week behind, man. Yeah. Uh, actually, maybe I'm at 17. Um, earlier today, I saw Phantom Thread, the new PTA, and it was fantastic. I think I need to see it again. But it's, you know, it's a movie that's sort of about, um, in some capacity, relationships that last a long time, um, keeping relationships fresh. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie, and I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil it. But, um, Wait, would, what's it called again? Phantom Thread. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I actually said the title. Well, yeah, you did. It, yeah. Isn't this uh, Daniel Day Lewis's last? Yeah, supposedly this film? is his final oh. film. For which, how many yeah. times is this? Yeah, his, I was about to fourth, say, his like. His last final film? Yeah. <laughs> the the, the Jay Z of actors. <laughs> I also watched a couple of movies um, that I would consider horror movies because they're also about relationships. <laughs> But they're not traditional horror movies. Okay. Uh, 45 Years, which came out a couple years ago. You know, it's about a couple who is on the verge of celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary, and the husband gets a letter from the Swiss government saying that they found the body of his hiking partner who went missing 50 years ago. Uh, and so mm-hmm. throughout the course of the film, we find out, or his wife finds out that she knew nothing about her husband or his past relationship. And all, yeah, which is. Fright is scary to me. You're shaking your head. Have you seen this? I have, and yeah, it's. I thought it was really good. Um, it's also, I don't know, it's a thought that I have a lot, mm-hmm. like being married or just like being like in a long term relationship. Like you're just like, how well do you really mm-hmm. know the person that you're with? I don't know. So I think that that. I think that that movie resonated with me be, just because those are like thoughts that I already mm-hmm. have, and I feel like. I feel like most people have those thoughts, but then to just see it in such a kind of intense. Yeah. Um, the other one that I saw that's in a similar vein is a it was a, a movie called Claire in Motion, which I just happened to catch because I discovered that Showtime has a, I think it's like Show W, which is like Showtime Women. Mm. Um, but this is is a film about a math professor whose husband goes missing on a hike, and is sort of trying to discover what happened to him realizes that he was leading this entire other life that she had no idea about. Uh, and it, you know, doesn't have a real definitive ending. Yeah. Hmm. Frightening. Very scary. I'm just learning not to go on hikes right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you should go on hikes. Just, you know, always tell people you're, where you're going. If you have a dog, so you can always take your dog with you and your dog has a GPS collar. He so. does have a GPS collar. Oh, well then yeah, you're yeah. fine. They They'll find your body in like less than <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like five to seven days. They'll find you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that I guess that gives everyone a cut up with what we've sort of been doing, and so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss our January screening of Rafifi. <laughs> All right, and so now we're going to talk about uh, Rafifi. We're going to start with some discussion about the director and some background of the film. Released in 1955, Jules Dassin's Rafifi tells the story of Tony the Staffenwall, who's just been released from prison for good behavior after a five-year stint 
um, and is quickly ripped back into his old habits. Initially, his his cohorts want to do a simple smash and grab and steal steal some uh, jewels. Yeah. But then he sets his sights on a bigger heist. So we've all seen it. Some of us have seen it before, right? It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. Right. I, I did not rewatch it in yeah. preparation for this podcast. Let's start with some background. So Jules Dassin was born in Connecticut. Um, he directed several well-regarded films, including The Naked City, which was turned into a TV show. Um, it's set in New York. It's sort of this, this police procedural where uh, it's been a couple of years since I've seen The Naked City, but if I recall, like a model is murdered, and so we follow the detectives um, through New York City, and it's shot on location yeah, um, yeah, as they try to solve this murder. It's this dark, gritty look to it. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. atmospheric. The plot seems almost secondary at times. It's more like just a city about, or a movie about the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1950, he was in London. He did a film called Night in the City, which starred um, one Woodmark. of my favorite actors, Richard Woodmark. Um, he just has a neat-looking face. <laughs> I like uh, his face. Yeah. Well, you know, there are certain actors who have these, like, just real neat-looking, or, like, Steve Buscemi kind of has, like, a unique yeah, face, yeah, right? Yeah. Or like a lot of older actors who are in westerns and things like Jack Elam has a sort of specific looking face or Jack Palance. Jack Palance, um, M. Uh, Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre. Yeah. Lorry. yeah. Um, and then so while he was in London working on a project, he was blacklisted, and so he never came back to the states, as far as I know. And so he was in Europe for several years, unable to get work, before he was finally able to get the job of directing Rafifi. Um, first, he adapted the, the screenplay. based. It was um, adapted from a novel, which he adapted apparently in like six days. Hmm. Um, and the novel, supposedly, was not very good. Yeah, but actually, yeah. Truffaut said that he made yeah. the best crime mm-hmm. movie out of the worst, worst. crime novel. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was written in English and then adapted or translated into French. The script, the, the script, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Originally, John Pierre Melville was supposed to direct it, but someone decided that Jules Dassin would be a better fit. Hmm. And so, you know, he spent a lot of time in Paris not working, so he was able to scout locations, um, which is something I guess he did in his American productions as well. Yeah, I have like, there's like a lot of random things in my notes. Like, he helped establish the Actors Laboratory, which is like this West Coast equivalent of the Actors Studio. Hollywood made clear, like, one of the reasons he wasn't able to get work is because Hollywood producers uh, basically said that if he made a film they wouldn't distribute it which would make it hard for it to be profitable right um, but by the time Rafifi was made I guess they started to sort of lose their hold on things and so you know when it was released it showed at Cannes where he won Best Director and they raised a French flag on an American flag um, and then it became the first film to be distributed in the US by a blacklisted director with their name on it so it was before Spartacus and uh Dalton Trumbo, um, you know, before other people who were blacklisted were able to get back into the industry. Oh, you mentioned that uh, Melville was supposed to direct mm-hmm. it. it. It does kind of feel like a Melville-type movie. It feels a lot like the, the stuff that Melville was making at mm-hmm. the time, the, the crime uh, noir-type things. Mm-hmm. It has kind of that same structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they kind of get the gang together, commit the heist, and then you have the fallout from the heist. I feel like the most, the Melville film I'm most familiar with is probably *The Samurai*, yeah, which is a very different 
kind of film. Oh, what, what else did Melville do? Uh, I know he did like uh, Circle, uh, so Circle Road. Yeah, which kind of follows that same kind mm. of pattern. Uh, he did Bob the Gambler, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. Follows <laughs> right. the same pattern. Yeah, well. so yeah, he did the film that we're showing in March, yeah. which is... Um, and so, like, one of the unique things about these two films is that they're the first ones that showed in almost procedural detail the early stages of planning and carrying out a heist. Wasn't there, it was, the film was banned somewhere because they were mm-hmm. afraid that people would use the, the footage to mm-hmm. create, or to commit their own crimes. And they actually had, um, I read somewhere that there were actually crimes that were committed that used the footage from the film as their kind of manual on mm-hmm. how to commit the crime. Yeah. Mexico. What? It was Mexico. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's always kind of weird when films get banned because censors think of them as like how-tos to do something. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, a real heist or a real crime would never go off as easily as it does oh, in this no. film. Oh, no. Yeah. Censors are always overreacting to things. That umbrella trick, though. It's choice. Storing that. Um, yeah, and I think that actually, I feel like the umbrella trick was either taken from another movie or inspired by an actual crime. You think so? There are elements of this that like are inspired by true events, but again, like it's not like documentary. Mm-hmm. You said it was based on a book, right? Mm-hmm. Was the book based on true events? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if the book was based on true events, but I have in my notes is that the heist scene was based on an actual burglary that took place in St. Louis in nineteen or eighteen ninety nine. That's interesting. Um, it's a yeah, yeah, I've read that like the heist scene is not like a big part of the book. Yeah, it's like ten pages. And it takes right. up like a third has, of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? I have it right here. It says a gang broke into the first floor office of a travel agency, cutting a hole in the floor using an umbrella to catch the debris in order to oh. make off of the contents of the jeweler shop below. I just love that. Yeah, and it, yeah, that's probably like the most ingenious use of, of an umbrella you'll ever see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's true purpose. Yeah. If you were to rank umbrella moments from films, yes. it's probably number one. Uh, it's top cool. five at least. As yeah. I think it's probably tied with Mary Poppins. Yeah, that's true. And the pink one. Those are probably the most notable umbrellas in film history. <laughs> All of those. There's more. There's like a bulletproof one and night and nights. Whatever the movie's called, Nightman's Service or. Oh, yeah, Kingsman. Kingsman. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. That could be your next theme. Umbrellas. Uh, umbrellas? Yes. <laughs> uh, we are currently taking suggestions for... <laughs> I have an idea of what the theme would be. Um, well, it would it would, it would would follow from the end of Bobble Flimber, so I don't want to spoil oh, okay. it on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it. A, Save it. Yeah. But I guess we do need to talk about it at some point. You should watch Bobble Flimber. Okay. I will. I'm going to get it from the library. The, D- the DVD's out of print. Mm. So. I have the DVD. <laughs> there you go. Al has yeah. all the DVDs. I have quite a few DVDs. So, yeah, so let's go into our spoiler filled discussion of, of the film. Um, let's do first thoughts from people who, because there are certain people here who had never seen it before, may have heard of it. Alex, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I mean, I think also I. I tend to do a lot of research, um, and so I actually did my research. When you had mentioned the movie to me, I had done research before I had seen it. So, because I also, like, spoilers to me don't really affect me for whatever reason. Like, knowing what happens doesn't 
delegitimize or in any way like take away from it um from watching a movie for me um and so I had actually read in detail about the heist scene itself and I'd also read about the fact that um it's like what like 23 28 minutes Mm -hmm. of almost complete silence like it's just like the noise um they'd originally had a track for it but they decided like at the last minute to cut it um and so, I mean, knowing all of that going into it, I don't know if I necessarily got that kind of, like, initial reaction that you get when you don't research something as in-depth as that. But um, I think watching it, I think reading about the the heist and then actually experiencing it was kind of a cool um, juxtaposition because I think you don't really know, like, what experiencing, like, over 20 minutes of complete silence in a movie really feels like until you actually see it. But it was, I mean, for me, that was the pinnacle of the movie as it should be and as I feel like he planned it to be. Um, But it almost felt like, for me, the plot about the kid afterwards, like the kidnapping of the kid, was I almost kind of just wanted to be like, no, I don't care about that. Like, I don't, care, I don't care about this kid. Like, for me, I I was more interested in the four men and their kind of relationship with one another and their relationship. I was actually really interested in the relationship between the men and their significant others, and I kind of wished I would have seen that play out a little more than it did, but that's, like, my reaction to every movie of that time period that doesn't really give women a lot of screen time so right but um you didn't care for uh when they're driving through the streets at the end and the kid is really oblivious to <laughs> oh my god happened. i just i yeah that can annoy me i was but just i felt i was that was that's a good juxtaposition juxtaposition of a mm-hmm. guy dying yeah. yeah it's just this yeah. kid not caring about anything and it's like oh the trees and this guy's like looking at trees like i'm been passing out because yeah yeah looking at the trees yeah i thought it was good but I thought the drive scene itself was yeah. really interesting. I liked that scene. Yeah. But, and I guess, like, you couldn't get to that if you didn't have the kid in it, but, god damn. Yeah, the kid was kind of so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think on your, um, to your point about the significant others, I think it's interesting that the character of Joe, his wife is the one who essentially states... Well, I don't know the if moral? it's the theme of the film. Yeah, but the moral is this is like, uh-huh. yeah, you thought you were tough because you're a hood, but actually you're the weak one. Yeah. Did y'all um, feel like the the moral, I don't even want to say like undertones because I don't think that it was undertones. I mean, I feel like the moral of the story kind of hits you pretty hard. Did you mm-hmm. think that it kind of hit you too hard? Like how did y'all interpret that or how did you? Compared to other heist movies, it's not like as over their head as other ones is because you know obviously it starts with tony beating his ex-lover right so you don't really have sympathy for him but you have sympathy for people like him or you know got out of prison you know just trying to make a living or i mean he's technically not making a living he's playing poker losing money all the time uh but you know other heist movies it's like you don't have sympathy for him no, I don't because he mm-hmm. beat he beat the girl at the very beginning. So. But then he also, but then you also see him as like he's the godfather of yeah, but Tonyo or Tony Junior or whatever, and yeah, he but it's like took the fall for what's his face? What was his name? 
But it's it all rolls back to the what uh, Joe's wife said. It's Joe's. like you know, you you guys are weak because yeah. you've chosen this life. So I don't feel bad for him going back because once he goes back to it, I feel less sympathetic towards him. Hmm. It's like if if it, say he had chose a different path, I would have been more sympathetic. But but then you wouldn't have gotten to see the umbrella. Yeah. So. True. He's also he's really good at it yeah yeah, and that, yeah. that's I, that's a common element in heist films which is like yeah. the people who return to a life of crime they're doing it because that's the one thing that they're really good yeah, at yeah, yeah. Michael C yes sir <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were your initial thoughts on this film yeah this, uh, it was the first time I had seen it and of course heard about it multiple times over the years and um, but this was the one that like got too blown up in like reputation like it wasn't like overblown and you don't really see a lot of clips from it in in different things you just hear about it and hear about the uh the extended periods of silence which they always talk the the one where it's act the actual heist they actually you know there's a reason for it but then there's that whole like planning stage Mm -hmm. where that is a that is also silent. It's not exactly a montage, but it's very similar. Where he's like going in to case it, he's actually talking to the guy behind the jewelry counter. But there's no dialogue, so there's actually quite a bit of this movie that is completely silent. Mm-hmm. And I was actually just kind of thinking and wondering, it's like, is it because he was an American and I don't know how familiar he was with French at the time? Because if the script was written in English, obviously he's not proficient enough to write it in French. So it's like, was this kind of a, a, somewhat of a necessity for him? Yeah. Like, that's what I started thinking. That's interesting because that could also be why his character is Italian and they mm-hmm. have to translate for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, um, yeah, I don't, I, I kind of like, I always like it in movies when you have that thing where like the dialogue cuts out and you can't hear what's going on. Yeah. And so you just have to fall back on visual storytelling. Well, because um, it also almost feels... I, for me, it kind of placed me in the movie more because just as you would be a bystander on the street and you would see this person, like, you wouldn't necessarily be able to hear everything. Like, because the camera, you're so far away and so some of those scenes, it wouldn't make sense to then be able to hear what he was saying. Like, it makes it made sense for me that, like, okay, I'm viewing this from, you know, this far away or this distance. Like, I would just be able to see it. I wouldn't necessarily be able to hear it. I liked that. Uh Michael B. Uh, well, my general thought. So usually when I watch an old movie, my th- process of watching it is like I think about the editing a lot. And so what I noticed in this one is there's a lot of jump cuts, but it's not where it's like you know you see one person and they move to a different position. It's like they obviously the director obviously liked the beginning of a shot of him start like this car starting up and then driving off, but there's a quick cut. And then it's like either the car, they had trouble starting the car or something, or I don't know what, but he just like, well, I like the beginning of that. So, but I think, you know, jump cuts are used effectively in this movie, whereas it seems like everyone shies away from jump cuts. And so like he pieces it together really well. There's some, like I could tell where they are, but there are some that I know I missed. And I really like that he actually him and his editor worked together to get jump cuts in there because I think they're I don't think underrated. I noticed any yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I didn't notice any. There was that one moment, too, where he, like, closes the door and his coat is... One of the guy's coats is caught in it. And then, like, a second later, the coat is, like, mysteriously not caught in the door. But it's, it's like, a, you know, it's, like, a fade, so... Yeah. yeah. Maybe he was, like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. So, I thought that... But also, it also felt like sometimes the editing was, like, off a little bit. But also, I, I credit that to being... It's still early in the you know, film, filmer or whatever. So it's like, there's a part where, um, Joe, when he's died and he like blinks with his eyes closed <laughs> and I was like, could yeah. they just not have done another take? What Good. is, <laughs> it's like some like rubble falls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like touching his, he's like, Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. But well, again, like this movie, it was filmed on the cheap, you know, they yeah, had yeah, yeah. a huge budget. Yeah. So, um, that reminds me of like Otto Priminger who, was in this always in this unique position of being his own director and producer, mm-hmm. um, and always had his one eye on the bottom line, and so didn't do a lot of didn't do a lot of takes. Yeah, and then, you know, it was always like this is good enough, we can move on. Um, and so you'll see things and stuff like I think in Laura and other films where there there are times when it looks like they might have done another take if someone had cared to do so, but, <laughs> but they didn't. I've I've had moments where. I'm just frustrated enough. I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Let's just yeah. move on. Yeah. I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Al? Uh, like I said, it's been like three or uh, four years since I've seen the movie. Uh, so my initial reaction has long been forgotten. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember you know, like, just trying to recall what the movie was about. You know, I remember the, the heist scene being kind of the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. But I also remember like there was a, like a theme song, like the Rafifi theme oh, song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember that's that's always kind of stuck with me. It's just kind of this glorious yeah. little little romantic number. That explains sort of the meaning of the term mm-hmm. Rafifi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It also sets up why everything falls apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sets him up to fall for the Because yeah. when singer. you're first watching it, you're like, what does this have to do? And then you're yeah. like, oh, obviously, it's, it's yeah. explaining what Rafifi means. Yeah. But it introduces us to that character mm-hmm. who basically ruins everything. For yeah. Everybody. Yeah, but I remember, remember really enjoying the movie. Uh, like I said, I was going like, like a heist movie kick way back when. I was watching mm-hmm. a lot of Melville and... And like uh, prison escape movies, and they all, all seem kind of fall, fall that same pattern. You, know, mm-hmm. you get the gang together, you do the heist or you escape, and then one by one, everyone kind of gets arrested mm-hmm. or killed or something like that. And that seems to be kind of the, the common motif for film noir type yeah. movies back then in the 40s, 50s. I was trying to find at mm-hmm. one point just like a list of heist films pre like 1955. And, you know, there's the Asphalt Jungle, which I mm-hmm. realized that I had apparently seen at some point. It's been, like, 12 years, and I don't know anything about it. I think um, we watched it at my parents' house. Yeah. There's The Great Train Robbery, which is, like, a 1913 or something mm-hmm. short. But it, it starts mid-heist, or just before the, the actual heist. You don't so. see any of the planning. Yeah, there's uh, no planning. You see it, yeah, just the heist... Execution yeah. and then the fallout. I thought you were talking about the Donald Sutherland version of the Great Train. Written directed by Michael Crichton. Yeah, I've seen that. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it yeah. Shit shows the planning and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there aren't a ton of heist movies before mm-hmm. you know, 1950 that I can. Like, I think I saw on one list they. 
put like the Maltese Falcon, but I don't think of that as a heist mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I wouldn't classify it as a heist yeah. movie, but I could understand if it's on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is what is the definition of a heist movie? Like, like what makes a heist movie a heist movie? It's got to be the plan, right? Mm-hmm. With the fact that you, you're going to steal something that you plan to do it. Does um, it have to show the planning, though? It doesn't have to. I mean, well, they do now. Like, mm-hmm. now that's like the central feature of a yeah. heist movie. Yeah. Because of Rafifi. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so says the internet, at least. Yeah, well... The, it's credited as, like, the first... Mm-hmm. Um, the first heist film. Or it's what's in, inspired kind of the mm-hmm. general plot line of heist films after it. Right, which is part of why it's the first in the series of what we're showing. Although, this is... It's also... It's sort of been bothering me. So before we had themes, you know, I was just picking movies... Um, willy-nilly and the last film that we showed was out of sight which is also a highest film so yeah. you could technically say that we started a month earlier than we did yeah. but this is the first in a, a planned series of movies about right highest films um although out of sight is great it is yeah yeah who is your favorite of the gang um not macaroni <laughs> <laughs> yeah favorite of the gang uh who the who's the the Mario the couple yeah Mario, yeah, Mario. and his and his yeah, girlfriend yeah. I love their relationship yeah, yeah me too yeah the first time you see them and he's in the bath mm-hmm. <laughs> actually I guess that's not the first time you see yeah. him first time you see, see them, them together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's probably my favorite their their relationship I think that was the thing too like because there's there were moments where I wasn't quite sure how much the women in their lives knew. Mm. Like, I didn't know... Because there was, oft, there was often times where, like, they'd be talking to some, about something or planning or whatever, and, you know, they would kind of just shoo the women off. And I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, a, they're in the dark, but then also, like, I think that that's why I wanted to see that rela- those relationships more, because you have to know that the women know what's going on. Like, yeah. they know... I mean, they have to, like... And I wanted to see, like, what, what, how did that dynamic play out? Or, like, how does that, you know, impact a romance or a relationship? Like, because they're just as much in it as the men are, whether or not they're actually committing the heist or not. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're housing them, they're, you know, protecting them, they're whatever. And I think that that would have added um a level of complexity that would have been really interesting to me especially their relationship mm-hmm. mario and edix i think of all of the women she was kind of the most like down with yeah. what was happening yeah and then to the extent that uh spaghetti had a significant other Sp- spaghetti <laughs> slash macaroni yeah. slash minestrone minestrone um, yeah uh what's his character's name it's uh they say the thing is like there's no safe that can resist him and no woman that he can resist. Yeah, but he. Uh, no, I think it's he, the other way around. There's no safe he can resist and no woman that can. Mm, maybe okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, but like to the extent that he has something other, you know, she clearly has doesn't take him very seriously. No, no. And she thought that the ring that he gave her was That's fake. Yeah, but I wonder if she was just saying that. To, I believe her. I believe she believes that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and then, not Tony. Joe's wife. Um, I feel like she she knows who her husband is. 
Yeah, I mean she has she, to. Yeah, yeah she, but it's like a, it's like an open secret kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, they don't talk about it, but she knows. She and she knew about. enough that she probably shouldn't have been as mad at him as she was. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, without her being mad, we don't get, basically, That's them true. explaining the movie to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There's another point in the film where there's sort of a moral lesson about being very careful with your things, whatever. When, when they kidnap... Um, Joe's kid and he loses the balloon and the guy on the yeah, yeah I liked that see those are, you gotta hold on to your, your things before you lose them or what is that he said something like that yeah, yeah it's like hold on tight or something mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I liked that that was a good little moment I felt like yeah there are there are a lot of moments like mm-hmm. that where it's like it's not central to the plot or it doesn't have any meaning to the whole film but there's small moments where it's like you know just makes sense to have it in there because it's good you know it's like things that happen in the real world mm-hmm. and so it puts us outside and it's like alex said earlier it's like you're not really going to hear a conversation that's across the room so i like that i feel like the only person who got away with anything was the um actually he gets he got away with everything <laughs> it was, uh the fence oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the who the, the, the guy who sold the yeah the jewels too. Oh yeah. yeah. And I did like the little character, like the one yeah. dark glass. <laughs> I was gonna ask too. Um, I don't know if this was because of kind of what could be shown in movies at this time, or if it was a stylistic choice. But the fact that a lot of the violence was mm. either off screen or there was. Like, there was these moments where you'd have, like, super close-up of their eyes or close-ups of, like, body parts, but you wouldn't actually see the violence. Do y'all, yeah. I mean, what was the... There were, there, I don't know about in Europe, but I know, like, here, it was things like, you couldn't show someone shooting a gun and the person getting hit in the same frame. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but they have that when he shoots macaroni. You, you don't see the gun. Yeah, it's part, oh, I it's guess part you of, see. Of, you see like oh, the yeah, powder, yeah. but you don't see the gun. Gotcha. So they had, there were a lot of, or you, if someone committed a crime, they had to also be shown being punished for that crime. Hmm. So there's they had a lot of rules back then mm-hmm. about around stuff like that. I don't know about Europe though, and what their I think, guidelines I think, I think, were. You know, like France and Italy, all those movies are they're a bit more lax on yeah. those rules. But the, and the other director coming from that American I guess, system, yeah, he's coming with that frame of mind. Yeah, but like when when Mario and his his girl when they're killed, and the camera's just like super low yeah. on the ground, and you just see like a foot and like some rustling in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it probably comes from being used to have to uh, find creative ways to get yeah. around. That's effective filmmaking yeah. also. It, it, it leads a lot to the, the imagination mm-hmm. of what's, what's going on in that scene, which I picture be very brutal. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I liked it too. I felt like having those limited shots made it feel more chaotic. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like if you had seen what had happened, I mean, in those moments, you don't really know what's happening. And so I think like having that really low shot, to me, felt more chaotic and felt way more tense um, than if I had actually seen what had happened to the two of them. What did y'all think? How, how do you think that they killed him? Because I think that was also, too, like, that kind of was like, oh, like, well, did they slit his throat? Yeah, it was like that one guy just walking around with a uh, straight razor. Yeah. So. You assume? I assume, yeah, like. 
He's eating both of them. Did he? Um, he does he drop the razor after he kills Tony? Or um, Mario. not Tony. Yeah, Mario. Mario. I don't remember. Yeah. I'm not sure because we don't ever see we yeah. don't ever see him with it again. But yeah, I mean, so, initially yeah. you might initially the way that scene. I remember the way it's cut. It looks like they killed Mario, and then she just faints or something. Yeah, but it's yeah. not real clear exactly she how she died. Yeah. but clearly she did because Stephen Wallace says that there are two bodies at this location. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, poor guys. There's there's this one shot where they're on the street talking, and I kept I was just completely distracted because the. Uh, Kodak Pathé building was in the background. Uh, yeah. And just yeah. big letters across the top. And they don't it's even like, mention it. It was one of the buildings. It yeah. Case it. <laughs> it's like, he must have intentionally, like, we're going to shoot right in front of this yeah. building. I'm just thinking, like, all the shots of just, like, um, the the guys who own the uh, the nightclub and, like, just, just walking through, like, as a group, like, as a posse, just walking through the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, or when they're like walking down the street and he's having um, Joe, you know, rattle off the times from the different shops mm-hmm. open and things like mm-hmm. that. Just there's just like a lot of little good moments in this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. There's the the final shot at the end where it's like pulling back. It felt mm-hmm. very very mar- modern. It's like it didn't feel like of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's you know you know everything was all in focus, yeah. and there it's like it's it's got like a sl- it's got like a soft blur to it. Mm-hmm. It's coming back. It felt really modern, but. It didn't feel like the rest of the movie, which I think is important to have for the end of the movie. The, there's even that. There's that, that great sequence when, like, um, he's gro- like calling in like all these favors, or just calling all oh, of his yeah. old criminal mm. buddies trying to get leads into where this the kid who's been kidnapped could be. And, right, and it's just like a simple knock on the window. Yeah, That's yeah. All it is. Yeah. Oh. After like, I'm still really don't know why she helped him. Mm-hmm. After like, Marlo, yeah, or, uh, uh, Tony. Yeah, just after why she helped Tony. Like, right. After he scarred her with a belt, like, yeah. I don't know though. It made sense to me. I feel like, for me, like yes, he beat her, but I feel like in her mind she deserved it, and yeah. I so I don't see like yes, she was angry with him obviously, and like didn't want to, you know begin a relationship with him again but I feel like she kind of in her mind was like I owe him because I mean he says like when he sees her again he's like I I was put in or I went to jail what in like June or something mm-hmm. and in July you're in another country with another man yeah. and I feel like you know she tries to justify it to him but I think that like you can tell by the by their relationship that the power dynamic that she feels indebted to him. She feels guilty. She feels like she owes him. Yeah. yeah. I also think that among the criminal element in this film, there's just this rule that you don't mess with kids. Yeah. Because yeah. like that's when what she says is just like I think oh, what yeah. they did is disgusting. Um, yeah. So it goes beyond the idea of yeah. being abused. Yeah. But also in like the song Rafifi, it talks about how the the girls like singing about how she enjoys. Yeah. Sort yeah. of that kind of foreplay. Yeah. Well, they have a. Tony and Marlo have a, is it Mato? It's Mato. It's it's like Mato. Yeah. yeah. Have a unique relationship um, that we are not privy to. That yeah. we, we don't, you know, we don't get to see what, right. what it was like before he went in, but. 
Uh, he does make a comment when she comes to his apartment mm-hmm. about he, about how he's been knocked down, but he's like, it's not like what uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're used to. Like, so I assume they're riding high and like had a lavish life yeah. mm-hmm. before he went away. Okay. Um, I'll say that the implication is that he was probably going to die soon anyway. You know, usually when yeah, somebody's cough. coughing throughout the yeah. movie, you know, that's like a sign that they're not long for In this an old world. movie, you know. Mm-hmm. That's cancer. <laughs> yeah, he probably did have cancer. That's on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Like, I was like, are they ever going to like, yeah. like say anything? I think or? the closest they get to you is they say something like five, five years in the pen or something will mark a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. who knows the conditions of a... Yeah. Back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asbestos is everywhere, so. Well, they inhaled a ton yeah. when they were <laughs> going through that floor. Uh, one thing I really like about, like, when they're showing preparation and planning and all that is, like, when they're just finding very simple solutions mm-hmm. to issues. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to become this, like, convoluted, like, oh, we have to do this. It's like, oh, we'll just shoot it with a. Fire extinguisher, yeah. <laughs> and they'll put like a thing in there to jam it, yeah. and then we'll be good. Yeah. Like, keep, it's like, all right, that's that that grounds it and makes it feel very mm-hmm. like. Even you could be a safe cracker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, why Mexico yeah. didn't want people watching this movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Also, uh, what's his name? Joe, being underneath that safe, oh, yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. like, how did he get that task? Because like, he's the youngest. Yeah, yeah the strongest. Gosh, yeah, that he was a short a straw. Oh. Did not gimmick that at all. Oh. I, 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 one thing I think really helped like at the beginning also with Joe's characters showing him just like actually like enjoying his life mm-hmm. and playing with his kid you know and just messing around and then Tony comes in and screws that up a little bit I don't Does know he? Joe's the one who yeah. screws it up if he had just listened to Tony <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean everything would have been fine I mean the heist but was but see he wanted just to do like a simple like smash and grab yeah, yeah. yeah like then this gets even bigger and yeah it would have worked if it weren't for that Italian he had to take <laughs> the one thing yep. he had to like take the ring um and he had to give it to her to his his lover right then he couldn't wait a couple days yeah um Leave it romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look where it got him. <laughs> look, look, look where it got all of them. Yeah. 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 I did like that moment, too, between... Because you can tell that Tony really doesn't want to. He's like, I really liked you. He's like, but yeah. you know the rules. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that sucks. Which I think... Let me see if that's in my notes. I want to say that that was actually not in the novel. No, it wasn't. And that yeah, was an illusion in some, to some extent of Dazen's betrayal of his fellow directors to the HUAC committee. Oh. Oh. Like, it's like a reference, like, yeah. yeah he, um, okay. That's interesting. I feel like I would have put that in my notes, but I don't immediately see it. It's funny because Baccaroni has a name. But none of us can remember it. It's Perlovita. Oh, is it? Well, well, actually, no, it's Caesar. It's Cesar. Cesar. But yeah. I think in the credits, it's like he's does he's not credited as Jules Dassin. He's credited as, that's what my notes Yeah, He's credited as Perlovita or something like that. They should have just gave him like a, a pasta name. <laughs> Rigatoni. <laughs> Tony and Rigatoni. Uh, yeah. 
Um, let's see. Does anybody have anything else you want to add about the film? Uh, there's a there's a hilarious part where they they come to the hotel and they knock on the door. Yes. And they sort of just like fall oh, into their yeah. arms. <laughs> oh, yeah, chloroform. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not even chloroform. I think it's just like they cover their face so yeah. they don't see who they are. But it's yeah. like it's so easy That's for so them to see there was a lot, I mean, there was a lot of those scenes, though, where, like, Tony would, like, jump out and, like, club some, and, like, barely, and I'm like, okay, that would not be enough to incapacitate yeah. a person. Yeah. But I feel like that's the way movies work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You watch enough movies, and it's like... Just, watch just watching it now, you're just like, oh, that's silly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's quaint. Yeah. <laughs> what did a tour so simple? Mm. No. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that scene is... That's really good. <laughs> and they do it twice, too. Like, how does the next person not think, like, that's kind of strange. They yeah. answered the door and didn't seemed, come back. It seemed like a bit where there's, like, 14 people came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think that Mel Brooks will do, like, a, a heist spoof movie where they do that? I hope so. I wish he'd come back and do one more. Why don't you guys write it together? <laughs> you guys should be the two Michaels. <laughs> So that'll do it for our discussion of Rafifi, and when we come back, we'll have some recommendations. All right, so we're back with some recommendations. Alex, you want to go first? No. <laughs> Someone else go first. That's okay. Okay. Uh, you want me to go first? I'll go first. Yes. Oh, you wait, Michael. Yeah. Michael. Michael, you go. Michael C. So uh, to keep in line with the heist theme, um, I ended up watching Logan Lucky the other night, yes. which Steven Soderbergh has made a, quite a few of these kind of heist movies, yeah. uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of things I really liked about it. Some parts that. Not as much, but in the end, I really enjoyed it. And what I like about his in particular, what he does at the end, after the heist is over, and then it's like, oh, something happened, and I'm not sure, something, what was that? And then it goes back, and you're, you get to see the second point of view of everything that was happening mm -hmm. behind the scenes that no one else knew about. And I always find that really interesting and fun, because it's just like, oh... That makes things make a lot more sense, like why they were doing this and not doing that. It, it's it's just a good fun movie. Adam Driver probably does a pretty he does a pretty bad Southern accent. <laughs> yeah, especially compared to like uh, Daniel Craig. I feel like I read somewhere that Daniel Craig one of the reasons he could do that film was that he was told he could do whatever he wanted with that character. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Oh, there's this. There's this great scene um, in the middle during uh, this almost prison riot where it feels like Steven Soderbergh is just venting his frustrations about Georgia R.R. R. Martin not releasing on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this just dialogue between an inmate and, and uh, uh, Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, apparently they're not following the books anymore. Aww. Like. And it's just, it's like, man, he is, he's really hurt that, <laughs> yeah. that this book's not out yet. <laughs> um, 
But I, I just like things like that. Just, yeah. You can see the personality of the people making the movie, and like they're just having fun and enjoying it. And that that makes me enjoy it. I do feel bad that I missed that when I was in theaters. Yeah. And one one of my resolutions this year is to see more movies in theaters. Yeah. Even if that means going alone, which I typically hate. That's what I've been doing I, with movie You don't like going alone? I just love it. Oh, I love it. It's so weird. Yeah. Why? No, I, I don't know. I understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having to get over that with movie pass. I think I'm going to try Saturday to go see him. I think I don't think I'm doing anything else, so I might try to do a whole day of movies. I got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. There's so much stuff out there I haven't seen. Three billboards. Yeah. Colored by your name. They're all in Arkansas. Coco. That was really good. Um, the Post. I think what's messed me, me up not day. watching movies in theaters is we lost a dollar theater. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I used to watch, like, four look, or five yeah. movies there. Yeah. We should have this conversation sometime. I feel like dollar theaters, like, once you have digital... So, the thing about dollar theaters is that you would go after a movie had been running for a long time, the film reel was deteriorated, mm-hmm. so, you know, you knew what you were getting. Yeah. It right. like a... But with digital projection, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And so it's so much. And then the release window from theater to home video are, has shrunk such yeah. that it's just, there's just no more market for a dollar theater. Yeah. Which is kind of... Which is sad. But yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And it was always good to have... Because every time you'd go, it'd be like packed. Mm-hmm. And so you'd get mm-hmm. a nice audience mm-hmm. that was... You know, sometimes people didn't care for the movie, so they'd talk up. And sometimes the movie didn't warrant paying attention to so it was fun to hear other people reacting to movies that's another reason I like going yeah the audience makes going to the theater worth it yeah alright Michael B recommendation um well if we're gonna keep it on theme (laughs) um which I'm going to (laughs) uh I would recommend I mean I'm sure a lot of people have seen this but Hell or High Water which is a you know a modern heist movie, but it doesn't really show the planning. Mm-hmm. It shows you know them doing the act mm-hmm. and dealing with the act. But I felt like it's really well done in that it combines multiple genres, and also you feel okay at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a bit a bit of sadness, but you felt like there's a finality to it, and it deals with a lot of modern issues that mm-hmm. a lot of people are dealing with. Um, that was, that was, I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it when it was on TV, and it's funny, like, that, and, uh, it's interesting the way that banking, and, like, to some extent, um, not really the mortgage crisis with Hill or Highwater, but, like, I feel like that and, um, Drag Me to Hell both sort oh, of caught yeah. the zeitgeist as this, like, anti-banking sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Without, without going too much into the plot of that movie. And Jeff Bridges is really good at it, too. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is it's a film that we may screen this year. I know Michael said he wants to screen it. Um, Michael C. Jackie Brown, which is sort of the sister film to Out of Sight, which we screened last month. Um, you know, they're both based off novels by Elmer Leonard. Uh, Michael Keaton plays the same character. Michael Keaton plays the same character, right? And there is some legal wrangling that Tarantino had to do to allow Michael Keaton to appear in Out of Sight, uh, without paying Miramax a fee for that. Uh, he's only in one scene, so it seems like it shouldn't yeah. have been that big a deal. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a great heist movie. It's also sort of this ode to black exploitation and 
perfectly written for Pam Greer, and it was my introduction to Robert Forster, and it's a movie that I really love a lot. Alex? Nope. Uh, Did that throw you when I called you Alex? Yeah, just, just, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just kind of break away from the theme of, of heist movies. There you go. Uh, but I will uh, recommend a, another uh, Jules Dassin movie uh, from 1968, a movie called Uptight. Uh, it follows kind of right shortly after the assassination of Martin Luther King and focus on the escalation of the uh, black and white, uh, you know, the this, this struggles and the controversies of that. Uh, a bunch of uh, black uh, revolutionaries go and they try to steal guns and one of, one of the characters kind of turns stooly and tells the police and kind of creates all sorts of chaos. And really, it's a remake of... Uh, John Ford movie, The Informer. Uh-huh. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, yeah. You know, so it, Rafifi was what nineteen fifty five. Uh-huh. So this is a little over a decade after that, towards the end of uh, Jules Dassin's career. But uh, it's, I remember it's been like four or five years since I've seen that movie too. But I remember it's, it's always kind of stuck with me for, for some reason. Just I think it was interesting. Like earlier in the discussion, you know, there was talk about how some of his characters are unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uptight kind of focuses on the guy that you know turns on the whole the whole group and tells the police, and so he's unlikable at the beginning, but he's also mm-hmm. like a drunk and a coward, and kind of see this transformation, just kind of the, the aftermath of him telling the police and then him kind of realizing what he did yeah, was yeah. just kind of the consequences. Uh, that's a really good movie. Uh, I think you know Desson's just not as appreciated as much as he should be. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen I've seen like four or five of his movies over the years, and they're all fantastic, mostly fantastic. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's one I didn't much care for, but, which was another heist movie. Can't remember what what the name of it was, but it had uh, won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. It had uh, Peter Ustinov, but uh, but yeah, but yeah, don't see that one. See up tight. Better movie. Dubkowski. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. And Alex. I'm going to also break away, um, and I think this also, I mean, I talked about it earlier, but I'm going to recommend it here, too. Um, La Note. Uh, it is actually an Italian film. Um, I think it was in early 1960s, 1961 or 1962, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of hits off my points earlier, what I found lacking in this movie, the kind of complexities of relationships that one definitely does not shy away from the complexities of a relationship um i it's just one of my favorite movies um it's one of those movies that i've at this point probably seen eight or nine times and every time i see it i kind of pull something new away from it um i really like it because it is all in the span of one day um and it is simply just about just kind of the deterioration of a marriage. Um, I like a lot of the scenes are really simple um, and really straightforward and the way that it's shot is really straightforward and simple but I think that that simplicity um, lends a lot of kind of nostalgia or um, depth to like the characters and the the shots or the scenes. so that's kind of like a movie that I just recommend to like anyone, especially if um, you're into, you know, more dated movies and you aren't shy about 
uh, reading subtitles. Um, for me, that's one of my all-time favorites. So I try to get anyone to, to watch it. And I, you know, if you like it, be my friend, because I feel like I've recommended it to a lot of people, and everyone is just like, why did you re recommend that to me? That was boring. You know, I'll watch it again. I, I just realized uh, I'm looking at my letter. This is back when I used to rate movies. Mm -hmm. I gave it three and a half, which is pretty good. But it was November of 2015, so it's been a while mm -hmm. since I've seen it. I mean, but if you're watching movies that have, like, you know, the terribleness of relationships, oh, yeah. that one's, like, it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, on that note, you should, you should... Have you seen Phantom Thread yet? Mm-mm. You should see Phantom Thread. Okay. It's, I want to I talk about that with a lot of people. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it. Um... Thanks for joining us. Be sure to come to our screening of Point Break, February 20th at the Riverdale 10 VIP Cinema. Thanks for listening. And until next time, um, watch a bunch of movies. Bye. <laughs> Il me montre la porte et me dit tire-toi Et quand il revient sans rien dire avec son méchant petit sourire À mon tour ça ne fait pas un pli Je suis bonne pour le rififi Jacob, you know, Jacob Rosenberg just goes like that He just starts and just psh No, he just yelled at me a lot, so Yeah, I'm good at yelling Did you know that Jacob used to write jokes for Seth Meyers? What? No that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know who Jacob is. Uh, he's Benji's new roommate. Oh. And he replaced Benji at the Arkansas Times. Oh, and then Benji yeah. left Arkansas Times. Yeah. He still writes for them, but he's not on staff anymore. Mm. But, yeah. He also just had his birthday yesterday. Okay. Happy birthday, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> so Happy we'll birthday. Not, we'll probably cut this. It's not really relevant. Who um, knows? He would appreciate it, I'm sure. Oh. So. Oh. Okay, we can start again.